Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition. Yeah, that's what we'll call it. Edition of the Ed Hoback Show, where we tell life stories with sarcasm and a ton of smart-ass remarks I snip in there once in a while, and sometimes even my guests do. Well, today I have a new <laughs> guest with me, and uh, he's got way more skills than me, and I don't think he's got any gray hair at all, so that means he's a lot younger than me. Well, he's, we have the same haircut, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> you look at my website. Anyway, Chef Rob, welcome to the Ed Hallback Show. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And yeah, I, I may have some gray hairs if there were hair up there to analyze, but uh, we'll leave that up to mystery. <laughs> yeah. Or or your kids will tell you, because my grandkids try and check me out if, I, if I'm a day or two late on shaving it. But yeah, they'll call me out. Of course, it's in my beard. So anyway, yeah, I was going to say the beard's the tell. Yeah, yeah. You you want to Rob uh, Chef Rob is from the Minneapolis area, and uh, I'm going to let him say what he wants to about himself because I kind of know him pretty good, and I don't want to let any of the cat out of the bag. So, but it's my show, damn it. So I do <laughs> say what I want. So go ahead, Rob. Tell tell us a little bit of your culinary background. Yeah, I mean, uh, so working in the kitchens is is basically been one of the predominant jobs that I've had throughout my entire life. Uh, at an at like a early age, it was kind of one of my first jobs. I had some friends that worked in kitchens and uh, was able to get some experience from there. Moved out to Colorado, had to find a way to get a ski pass, you know, for as cheap as possible, and so. Right. Uh, the resorts made sense. And uh, I remember interviewing with with the chef there. He had the big, tall chef toque. And he asked me how to make a chowder and how I would make my stocks. And I had to look at him and say, chef, I have no idea what you're talking about. But if you if you just take the time to teach me, I promise that I'll be a fast learner and then I'll work as hard as I can. And that was from then on, that was my first real kitchen experience. And I was just in love with it. And so was able to kind of travel, uh, you know, the country, the world, uh, and gain experience until settling down here in Minnesota again, and, you know, working, uh, you know, higher end restaurant scenes, uh, country clubs, uh, resorts kind of thing, uh, for the better part of 25 years. Uh, so it's just always just been a passion and a labor of love. And ooh, ooh, I got to interject because I thought of something and then I'll let you go again. Why do yeah, chefs please. always seem to move around? I mean, I, I see it constantly here at the lake where I live. There's a restaurant on the lake, and now they're introducing a new chef. Well, last year they introduced a new chef for the <laughs> summer, yeah, and, and I always see that. Why? Why do you guys always move around? Well, there's probably a good reason, and then there's probably like the other half of why people move around in the kitchen. I mean, it's just the reality of it is the kitchen's a, a grind. Uh, sometimes you get some uh, darker souls <laughs> that are hanging out in the kitchen, and they move on for those reasons. But a lot of times, like from the professional chef world, you know, two to three years in a kitchen um, and, and you should just really be, I mean, in my opinion, you should really just be looking to or aspiring to what is the next thing, uh, whether it's, you know, a larger size kitchen, a larger size operation, or just, you know, again, it, for me as, as a younger chef, it was about using that skill set as an opportunity to travel. Uh, so I, you know, I was intentional about wanting to spend two or three years in Breckenridge, two or three years in Jackson Hole, and, and kind of moving around, um, leveraging the skill set to be able to get life experience. But I think as you as you become more of a professional, it's okay. I can run a you know one million dollar a year restaurant. Okay, now let's try to run a two million dollar or a five million dollar or a ten million dollar or a fifty five million dollar regional job. And and so you know you just kind of continue to. Uh, expand what your capacity is for workload and, and management and you know experience really. 
so that's the good side (laughs) okay it's it's, and and the bad side is somebody maybe didn't make it or it wasn't for them or management and then flashed just like any any job that yeah the burnout or you know maybe uh one too many margaritas at the bar after uh after the restaurant closes is always a a real kitchen thing (laughs) yeah well I, i see movies and i'm trying to think of the latest one i saw that had a chef and he was making a comeback in England because he burnt a bridge in Paris, I believe. And I, I can't remember the name of the movie, and it's not in my notes, so I shouldn't even brought it up. But anyway, it was uh, very intense work the way it looked on the movie, the way the movie said it was. And it, it is, it definitely is, and it's not for everybody. It breeds, um, it breeds a certain type of uh, like intellectual or like mental stability that you have to have. And at the same time as all of this stress that's going on and the speed and the, and the precision that's required to execute at the level you should be, you also have to be a, a good human being and a good boss or a good manager to the people that you have surrounding you, uh, which is, is just really two paradigms at the same time going on. You've got this intensity of the kitchen. And then this like sympathy or empathy that you need to have to support people that can actually work in that environment. And uh, it's not for everybody. And and you certainly see a lot of people that, um, you know, to your point, like kind of burn out from that, um, you know, sort of like dual life that is the kitchen. Right, right. Okay. Well, we're not going to talk today. I mean, we'll come back to this another time if you're game. But absolutely, we're going to talk about outdoor cooking you know because here in the midwest we're pushing march and then we get all jazzed about starting up our grill our pellet grill our charcoal our wood fire am i missing anything that you cook with outside rob <laughs> well th- these days i feel like you can get any piece of kitchen equipment outside but but that's the main ones for sure yeah well as i was googling it preparing for this it's like oh wow some of these kitchen costs more than my car costs Oh yeah, especially like the big outdoor like built-ins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're pushing SUV prices there. <laughs> yeah, and then you cover it up for nine ten, nine months before you can undo it again, especially in the North Iowa, Minnesota climate. Now, if, winter and summer, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> winter, exactly. winter and grilling. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm heard through the grapevine that you like to grill, and you're very particular about it, and that's because you're a professional chef. Talk to me about grilling. What do you, what's the median you like to use, and do you like it for different uh, meats and vegetables? And do you maybe grill something else? I don't know about. Talk to me. Yeah, I think you know. For me, there's two aspects of it. One, um, in the purest form, just the flavor of the grill. Uh, you know, whether it's open flame or gas. Um, you know, that direct heat uh, that grill offers uh, the the caramelization on the meats, the char on your vegetables. Um, there's just something, you know, sort of like earthy about it that I think resonates at least with me and with, with a lot of people sort of just like flavor profiles that they like. Um, it just, it just tastes better. It just looks good. And then the other part is, you know, you're outside (laughs) then. I mean, it's right. Right. I mean, uh, you know, maybe you got your favorite libation and, and you're out, you got the grill fired up, the kids are playing in the yard. Like it's just, it, it's a whole vibe that meshes just beautifully with, you know, nice weather and summer. And, 
um, you know, just kind of ties the ingredients of that season together with the grill. And, and, you know, so for me, it's that, that, that two part of, uh, it's just a great cooking method, that direct heat cooking method. And then it's just a good time, you know, I mean, sitting out by the grill, plus it buys you a little time. You got to kind of watch the grill, right? So you got the whole man story or, you know, really anybody grilling is for anybody, but like, you know, typically it's guys out by the grill, gathering around the grill, you know, talking about the grill, opening it up. What am I cooking? Where'd you get your meat from? And, you know, there's just like a whole, uh, almost subculture around it. That's part of it as well. Right. So what's your favorite type of grill to use or, or does it make a difference in what you're grilling? I don't, um, I mean, as far as like brand or something like that, I think it's really just like you get to a certain level and the quality is just good. Um, some of the stuff like it, depending on how frequently you use it will, will potentially, you know, like your grates will, will break down faster and things like that. But for me, I think, um, you know, you want a, a good amount of space and you want like a good gas grill, I think is, is the best. Now, yeah, if you want to have some version of like charcoal, um, you know, obviously it takes a little bit more time. You got to get the coals going and things like that. It, that's probably a preference, but in reality, you know, most of us are just rolling the grill out of the garage or it's out on the deck or whatever, you know, you turn it on a good gas grill or good, um, like a radiant heat, um, grill that, that, just gets hot. That is the biggest thing. Like you need those BTUs. You got to have that heat. If your grill is not getting hot enough to put that good char on your vegetables, that good, those great grill marks and that good caramelization on your proteins, um, you know, you just need to find a better one. It's really what it comes down to, to me. It's like heat, space, um, and then just, you know, how long it holds up to the weather and, and, you know, how many times you use it. Well, I have to tell you a little story about my grills. I'm kind of cheap in a way, um, and I always bought a lower-end grill, right? So two years ago, shortly after my wife and I moved to this house, my little cheapo grill called it quits right before 4th of July. Oh, boy, because that's when everybody grills, right? I had my family coming over, and I was going to grill. So I go buy a grill that cost me more than probably all the grills I bought in my life. And I'm thinking, okay, this will be the last one. And it's all stainless, everything. And I hooked it up to the natural gas line and trenched that in and built brick around it. And I'm pretty proud of it. But yet I don't have a lot of skills. It's like, okay, I'll throw a burger on. Yeah, that looks good enough. I'm in a hurry. I, I don't have the patience for that. But I have friends that use the pellet thing all the time. They say, oh, you got to get a pellet grill. Look, you can make these beautiful ribs. I said, I'll tell you what, when you're making ribs for you and your wife, you got plenty of room to put another rack on for me. I'll just, I'll just take care <laughs> of that. Why, why should I have to buy a pellet grill and and do all that stuff. So every year for Christmas, I buy him a bag of pellets. There you go. Set it by his garage door. So I have, I think this summer could be the summer where I may buckle down and try and figure out some grilling skills, including vegetables, because I find I like grilled vegetables more and more and more. Oh, they're so good. Well, on the grilled vegetable front, two, if if I may, two suggestions. Yeah. Um they have the, they sell these like 
uh, vegetable baskets for the grill yeah, yeah. where you can put sort of any size in there. Invest in a good one of those because although they look on the surface like a gimmicky, uh, you know, like whatever pampered chef type thing, it's a great grill tool to actually have. Um, and the other one is uh, like just have fun with seasonings and stuff like that. So if you're if you're grilling vegetables, it's just it's there's so much you can do with like uh, making a marinade, whether it's like a flavored oil or just like custom season rubs and stuff like that. Cause there's nothing better than like seasonings on vegetables or marinade sauces on vegetables on the grill. And you get that like grilled sauce on your, it's just so good. Yeah. So, so, okay. I've seen these basket things before. And I think in a previous life I owned one and it's got a handle on it. So if mm-hmm. you cl- close the lid, what do you do with the handle? Uh, you need a big enough grill where you can <laughs> close the lid. Put the whole thing just, in. Yeah, I mean, you want to find one that's one that's all metal, and you just put the whole thing in, close the grill, and again, then you can just kind of pick it up with your tong, shake it, uh, or towel, whatever that you have. But yeah, the, the, it's a great tool for like the smaller vegetables. Right, right. Okay, let's talk fish. I love grilled salmon. I am not good at grilling it. Give me a tip or two. The grill needs to be as hot as it can possibly be without burning uh, your fish, uh, and the fish needs to be well-oiled. If you put fish on a grill that is even remotely, like, not all the way hot, uh, it will stick 100% of the time. Yeah, Uh, okay. So just a nice liberal coating of, you know, whether it's pan spray or just like a nice uh, brush of oil. Um, And then I would also have – I like to take a towel – um, and just like, it's a, going to be a throwaway towel and it's a towel that you keep near your grill. You dunk it in a little bit of, uh, olive oil or vegetable oil, or if you got, you know, fat around from something, um, and you just brush your grill grates with that before you start grilling your fish. Um, and really just sort of like season one, the grill, and then two, make sure that it's nice and, um, sort of lubricated before you put on the salmon and then heat is just the key. And then I always do like, I'm a super sear uh, guy. This is an old, uh, a famous like U.S. chef, Thomas Keller. He invented this thing called the super sear. Uh, I do the same thing with grilling. I like to cook my seafood predominantly one side. So I like to get that good char on the presentation side or the non-skin side of the fish. Um, I like to sear it and put it, say, say about 75% of the time on sort of that presentation side. Obviously, your grill marks, you're going to lay it down and then turn it 45 degrees, lay it the other way, you get your nice diamonds. Uh-huh. And, then, and then I would prefer personally to, to either flip it onto a pan um, or, or flip it on, uh, you know, onto the other side if it doesn't have, you know, the skin still on it. And just let the like the uh, the heat of the grill sort of finish it on the other side. So I like direct heat really on one side of my fish, and then sort of like the indirect heat on the other to to try to cook the rest of the fish. But about seventy five percent on the presentation side. Get your grill marks and then flip it over, and either light grill marks on the other side or onto like a sizzle tray or something like that to finish, or even into the oven inside. What what about the cedar plank? Yeah, cedar plank. I mean, uh, a little bit of a, a trendy, like uh, you know, grill type thing. But it definitely that that would be another great version. Like I would like that, like nice, nice grill marks, or you know, that super sear on one side and then flipped over onto the cedar plank. But as far as like just putting a piece of fish on a cedar plank and letting it sort of like steam or you know, uh, indirect cook on there, not my personal texture. You know, the grill is about creating that you know, in the kitchen, it's called the Maillard reaction. So it's like the natural caramelization of the sugars that are in the protein. The grill is about 
activating those those sugars and getting that that caramelization. And so I always want my my proteins just like on there, sizzling, getting that grill, that golden brown and delicious. We call it GBD in the kitchen, golden brown and delicious. Um, yeah, so you know, cedar plank great for that second side for me um, only, but not like all the way. Just a personal preference. Okay, all right. Now I'm now I'm thinking about going out to my grill. I think there's a foot of snow on it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's supposed to get warmer tomorrow. But uh, so. Another thing is steaks. I I struggle with steaks. Number one, what they cost, and because I'm kind of cheap, but not as cheap as somebody I know. But we won't mention any names. Um, but but how how do you get how do you do a good steak on a grill? Is that is that a heat thing too? Partially heat, you know, again, uh, not as important with uh, steak as it is with seafood, just because you've got just a tougher protein um, or less delicate, I should say. Uh, the two things that you want to always do with steak is, and I think a mistake you see a lot of people make is they pull their steaks right out of the fridge. They throw some seasoning from the pantry on there, and then they just go directly out to the to the grill and they're putting a cold steak on a grill that just got turned on. And, you know, you get that like, uh, like carcinogen, like, like the oil lightly burns and it just, you get that like gray looking meat versus that, like, again, that GVD, that good caramelization, golden brown well, delicious. Well, you just described my grilling. Okay. <laughs> so tell me, Sorry. Tell me. Okay, no, so no, that's all right. I'm, I'm, uh, I know I need help and that that's why I was thrilled. You're going to be on the show because I get to ask you questions and maybe I'll glean something from it. There we go. So or first I'll, step, okay, we got to, we got to pull the steak out before. Uh, the steak should be room temperature if we're going to throw it on a grill. Uh, a cold steak on a lukewarm or not all the way hot grill is just you're already starting at a deficit. So a nice like room temperature steak. And typically you want to season that steak well before you take it out. And so I think that's another mistake that people make is they'll season their steak and then they'll they'll go and they'll put it you know directly on there. Um, you want to let the the seasoning have a moment or two it doesn't need to be like 15 minutes but you know you want to give it a few minutes to try to pull some of that remaining moisture out um and then you know again like sort of pat that steak so room temperature steak season it let it get a, a little bit of time to pull some moisture out get the flavor and break down some of those seasonings um a good seasoning sure if you have something that you love um but i always like you know, just good old fashioned salt and pepper. Uh, if, if you don't have some sort of like steak mix or something that you like, um, and then a nice hot grill, when you lay it on, the key is lay your steak down on a 45 degree angle. So if you're, if you're facing directly in front of your grill, lay it, you know, from, you know, top to bottom, 45 degrees, bottom, right, top left kind of thing. And then what you do is you give it an equal amount of time on every side of the steak. And typically a mid-rare on like a ribeye or a New York, you're going to be somewhere in that like two to three minutes on each side and you lay it down and then you just flip it directly over. So 180 degrees, take the bottom and put it where the top was. Right, right. And once you do that, then you have your second side going and you should end up with grill marks that look like they're running parallel to you. Uh, then the next step is on the next flip, you also take the bottom from the top but you turn it 45 degrees. And when you turn that, you're going to have grill marks from the other side that are going straight up and down. And this is the key for perfect diamonds. 
So again, when you, you lay it down 45 degrees, flip it top to bottom, same 45 degrees. On the next turn, you're going to turn the stake the other way, 45 degrees. And now it's pointing from the left, it's pointing to the right. When you flip it, you're going to have grill marks that are going straight up and down. Those grill marks, if you align those grill marks with the grates of the grill, you will have perfect diamonds on that side. And then when you flip it for your last time, same thing. You're going to have those straight up and down again, and you're just going to align them perfectly with your grill grates. And that is how in the kitchen they get perfect diamonds on your steaks is that simple 45 flip 180 degrees upside down, turn 45, flip 180 degrees and get those straight grill marks to align with your grill grates and you will have perfect diamonds every time. So warm steak, salt and pepper, nice hot grill, the 45-45 trick, and that last little tidbit to perfect diamonds is when you get that straight up and down grill mark, line it up with your grates and you'll always have diamonds. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it from Chef Rob, how to do the steaks. I'm going to have to watch my own, uh, or not watch, uh, listen to my own podcast because I need (laughs) Laid out in front of me, steps one, two, three, and four, but I'll lay out my steak early, and then I will season it, and then I will put it onto a hot grill, and then do the 45 flips and see if I can get it perfect. There you go. Is that that it in a nutshell? In a nutshell, yep. I mean, I think the last step is don't rush to eat it. You know, uh, this is pretty common knowledge these days with good with good steaks, but you want to let it rest like three to five minutes. Take take some tin foil, wrap it in tin foil, and just give it a few minutes to relax. Uh, don't don't take it right off the grill and cut into it. Give the steak a little bit of time to just kind of uh, relax, uh, pull back in some of the juices, and that way, when you cut the steak, it's not just going to drop all that beautiful liquid out onto the plate. It's going to stay in a nice moist steak. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it from Chef Rob. Rob, would you like to come back and we'll tackle some other uh, items that we can put on the grill before spring gets here to the upper Midwest? Absolutely. I think, you know, you mentioned the pellet smoker. That's a whole separate conversation. I I know it. We We, should definitely have before summer starts rolling around. We got a lot more to talk about. Well, I think I hit my timeline today because I don't want to bore people too much, but I learned a lot. I hope my... My listeners learned a lot. I appreciate your time today, Chef Rob, and uh, we will do this again. So from the Down Under studio, this is Ed from the Ed Hallback Show saying uh, thanks for listening and bye-bye.